0: It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the Sports Department of the Providence Journal. Featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is our sports writer Bill Koch. Bill, we are sitting here on Monday, an off day for the Red Sox. Uh, they have climbed back into first place, uh, holding a half game lead, I believe, over the second place Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they are starting a series down in Tampa Bay this week. Uh, and, Bill, uh, much as most of your predictions happen, this one came true, <laughs> which is that the Tampa Bay Rays are really, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time before that last wheel fell off the wagon. And, uh, you know, far be it from us to. Uh, to take uh, great joy in other teams' misery, but uh, there latest uh, loss in the pitching uh, department really I guess spelled doom for them. It was was the tipping point for them. See,
1: the key to making predictions is you make a lot of them and eventually (laughs) once in a while you would be right. Right. No
0: one remembers the ones you got wrong. It's just the one you got right. And you say, yeah, he was a genius.
1: Yeah, you can come out and claim you know, and shout from the rooftops when you get it right and sort of let it (laughs) fade away when you get it wrong. Um, But the Rays, yeah, I I really felt like the Rays would struggle to overcome the loss of Tyler Glass. Now, Hmm. who... Most likely is going to be out for the season. Uh, he has a partially torn UCL in his right elbow. Um, they're going to try to rehab him. For now, they're not going to send him for Tommy John surgery. Eventually, these things tend to end in Tommy John surgery. Right. Um, you know, so realistically, what's he going to be able to give them throughout the year? Um, they've sort of hit critical mass with a host of other guys who are on the IL from their pitching staff. You can only lose so much in their lineup realistically isn't good enough to to cover for this sort of thing. Um, You you look at the Rays in terms of OPS, they're 15th in the league, so Mm. bang average in the center of the league. Uh, What's made them a World Series team last season was their pitching staff. You want to mix and match and sort of try to make your way through the season in the batting order, that's fine. But you need to have elite pitching and right now it's going to be difficult to see a path going forward for them sustaining that over the next, you know, 90 games or so.
0: And the way they use their pitchers doesn't help either, right? They don't traditionally have the uh, guy goes out, gives you five, six innings, and then brings in the uh, middle guy and then the, the closer. You know, They have the opener, and they rely on these guys for uh, more frequent uh, appearances, so that probably hasn't helped them either.
1: I uh, haven't done enough research to make that determination yet, but I, I would like to advance that as a baseball conspiracy <laughs> okay. theory. that the, Yes. Uh, We're going to go with that on the podcast this week. Yeah, perhaps uh, yeah. they have more injuries because they have some non-traditional Usage and mm-hmm. some non traditional development, um, you know, and, and potentially, potentially, you know, that could do some damage to, to some of the long term guys like Yanni Chirinos and Jalen Beaks and Tyler Glasno and Colin Pochet, and the list goes on and right. on. Right.
0: So, uh, turning our attention to the Red Sox uh, pitching staff, uh, so we are doing this on Monday when today is the first day that the uh, new. Uh, sticky substance crackdown takes effect in Major League Baseball. Yeah, Uh, And so the umpires are going to be out there with magnifying glasses and uh, microscopes, I guess. And, uh, well, not not to that extent, but they're going to be examining the baseballs that are being used in play, uh, looking for signs of sticky substances that are not permitted. Um, I don't know, Bill. To me, I, I think that this may be a little bit overblown, but you know we'll see what happens. I just don't like the idea of doing more things that that's going to slow down the game. Obviously, you don't want to give the pitchers uh, an unfair advantage, and obviously, with the overall batting average in baseball, uh, Major League Baseball w- wants to see hitters succeed more often than, than they have been. But you know, if if this adds another five to ten minutes a game because you're checking things and talking with managers and dealing with pitchers and I don't know. I'm not sure if it's. I'm not sure if it's worth it.
1: Ideally, this sort of thing is going to happen on pitching changes. You know, maybe between innings. Um, you yeah, know, but they make two or three pitching changes
0: or four pitching changes a game, right? So that's that. There's there's eight ten minutes right there.
1: But during that dead time, I yeah. guess you would say. Yeah. You know, when a pitcher comes out of the game and he's walking to the dugout, maybe yeah. he gets checked while the reliever is throwing his warmups. Uh, you know, maybe you take the balls out of play that that pitcher was using and you put new balls in play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you check the catcher at that point who knows um, Alex core was speaking about this the other day and he said um, you know he liked the fact the Red Sox had Monday off because they're gonna get a chance to see how this is implemented in other games yeah but let, let the other Monday.
0: teams let the other teams be the guinea pigs first right? you
1: know realistically uh, you know he was very honest with us he, he said he's not sure what umpires are gonna do what right. the sort of methodology here is going to be um, you know whether or not it would be incumbent upon managers to ask for checks of opposing pitchers, opposing catchers—that's
0: that's a dicey situation, the
1: slippery slope yeah. there uh, in terms of whether or not the players wanted want to enact their own justice All right. after right. such a thing. Uh, you know, Alex Cora could ask for a check of a raised pitcher, and Xander Bogarts could find himself taking a fastball in the middle of the number two on right. his back, uh, you know, each night um you know that's generally been the way that baseball players managers coaching staffs have legislated quote unquote cheating over the years um you know guys know that generally somebody on their own pitching staff somebody in their own lineup is probably doing something to the ball maybe something to their bats you know maybe something uh chemistry-wise uh, in their workout <laughs> regimen. Um, and so they're less likely to call out opposing teams. And when that does happen, yeah. it's usually treated harshly. Yeah. It's it's not greeted well by opposing <laughs> managers and opposing players um, You know, who very well may be cheating, but who don't necessarily like being suspects in that way. Right,
0: right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a manager uh, is doing it at the peril of a retribution to some of his own players. And puts uh, his own pitchers in the spotlight as well. So it'll be, I don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens this week when uh, when ba- baseball cracks down. You know, b- baseball has a habit of saying they're going to really they're going to do things, yeah, right, Bill. Right. Where this this time we're going to do this, right. and they either don't do it or they do it for like a week and then it kind of fades away. So you know, I don't know where this falls uh, in. Uh, Obviously, they they said they were going to start doing this earlier. The this season they hadn't now now they now they mean it man you know
1: well they kind of said in spring training like hey we're going to be looking out for this you know maybe you shouldn't dock to the balls you know maybe you shouldn't do this or do that it was kind of like when they implemented testing for peds they gave the players a clear threshold if it's over five percent and these random spot checks that we do yeah that triggers that are voluntary that's going to trigger this policy and the players couldn't help themselves (laughs) You know, so you go to these guys in spring training and you say, hey, stop with the spider tack on the baseball. If we start finding spider tack and hairspray and soft drink syrup and whatever else during the season, we're going to have to revisit this. Pitchers couldn't help themselves. Batting averages plummeted. Strikeouts rocketed again to new levels. Right. And here we are in midseason in typical clumsy MLB fashion. Trying to put in some sort of reform in in midstream. Um, You know, and I I said this to you before the podcast. Um, Yes, I blame pitchers for this, um, but I also think that it is the nature of competitive athletes, the darker nature of competitive athletes, uh, to push that limit to sort of find yeah, those oh, gray margins that's that's sort of what they do that's why we have performance enhancing sure. drugs i mean they
0: substances they're looking for every advantage possible
1: every single edge because it could mean longer career millions of dollars whatever else it may be glory fame championships whatever but i also turn the finger at major league baseball hmm. they own rawlings rawlings manufactures the baseball yep pitchers are saying we need sunscreen and rosin to have a better grip on the ball we're going to start using this other stuff you know maybe we shouldn't be doing that but now you're going to take out all the substances that we used including the sunscreen and rosin that doesn't necessarily increase spin rates the way they normally would Mm -hmm. to which i would say why is the ball so uneasily gripped you know why are you manufacturing a ball through rawlings which you own that pitchers clearly don't like and don't feel like they can work with. Right. And th- this point was brought up, I think, on the broadcast
0: yesterday or maybe a couple of days ago. I think it was uh, Eckersley, I want to say, that brought it up. But... Yeah, you're right. MLB owns Rawlings, so you would think that they could essentially dictate exactly how the ball should be manufactured.
1: You know, why isn't there year round discussion of this? Why aren't there trials, you know, whether it be with retired MLB pitchers, current MLB pitchers? Mm -hmm. um, You know, why aren't you handing a prototype baseball to, say, Clayton Kershaw at an all star game and saying, hey, Clayton, would you mind throwing a bullpen with this or just playing catch with this and give us some feedback on how it feels? Um, you know, I think back to when the NBA decided they were going to change the basketball. Um, yeah, that, that, had be, that had to be a decade ago that now, didn't right?
0: Go, I don't know if it was that that long ago, but yeah, five years anyway, but yeah, it was. It didn't go over very well.
1: No, they wanted to sort of get away from, you know, the old sort of heavy, leathery basketball. Right, the ball that they've been playing with forever. Right, and, and <laughs> sort of go to something that's a little lighter, um, you know, it's a little more sweat resistant. Um, you know, I think players used to say that the ball would actually get heavier, as the game went on, yeah. the old leather balls, yep. because you know guys would sweat on right. it, whatever else, soak and, up. Yeah. and I'm not going to question basketball players because their feel is incredible. Yeah, you know they treat the ball like it's an extra hand or, or foot. It's it's amazing, really. The point guards and, and whoever else, just the feel, the touch they have. Um, you know, so they went to the league and said, "Hey, look, this ball, this new ball that you want us to use is, is terrible. Right? You know, we we don't like it. Um, doesn't feel right." You know, we don't want to go back to the old one, but we think a solution can be found. Those basketballs are made by Spalding. They have been forever and ever. You think about NFL footballs, they're made by Wilson. They have been forever and ever. Right. Spalding and Wilson are autonomous, but you would certainly think that they would want to keep their major shareholders, baseball and football, happy. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, basketball and football happy. So those changes were made. Um, MLB has no such extra layer bureaucracy. Mm. They own Rawlings. They could go into a lab, they can go into the factory, they could say let's try this sort of leather, let's try these sort of seams. let's do this, let's do that. Let's get pitchers involved in this, organizations involved in this. you know let's put it in the minor leagues, try it out in a ball, right Just say, here's the ball, Here's a new surface on the ball. Does it feel tackier to you? Can you grip it better? Do you need the rosin bag? Do you need the sunscreen? Do you need the the legal cheating that's been going on forever and ever? The sort of acceptable cheating that's been going on forever and ever? And once you reach the point where you don't need that, then you'd have a much better chance of policing the game the, the way you would like to. But baseball being what it is, Rob Manfred being the boob that he is as a commissioner <laughs> and following Bud Selig, who is no better. You end up with this, a mid-season, clumsy implementation of a rule that managers, players, coaching staffs, organizations, they're not even sure how it's going to work. You know, uh, I'm surprised that... Be- well, I should have said I'm surprised
0: because for the reasons that you just pointed out, the baseball doesn't always do the things that mm-hmm. seems to make the most sense. But um, you would think that they would... Um, start this out in the minor leagues like they do so many other things and give it a season or so and say hey it's working pretty well in the minor leagues we're going to implement this next year in the you know whatever yes. this gradual you know we started out in the minors and guys are getting used to it there and you know we'll we'll give it another season or so but yeah it was it was sort of like well we're going to we're just going to do this and then they didn't really do it and now they're really going to do it and uh, yeah, it does seem haphazard. I'm I still question whether this is still going to be an issue in three weeks, if they're still going to be checking these balls, or they're just going to make a show of it here, and then you know just kind of go back to business as usual once uh, you know once July 15th or August 1st rolls around. So, uh, but regardless of, of the motives. Bill, it's it's apparently happening this week, and it doesn't come at a very good time for the Boston Red Sox in terms of their pitching because their pitching hasn't exactly been stellar as of late. Um, you know, we've we've detailed and discussed the uh, the the uh, challenges that Erod uh, has faced this year, who has not been very good, and now we've we've. Uh, seeing other pitchers who just have not kind of matched their early season performances. The first guy that comes to mind to me is Nathan Avaldi, who has really been up and down as of late. You know, throws a very good game and then gives up five runs the next game, and then throws a good game and gives up four runs. And, you know, I guess it's better than Nathan Avaldi going on the IL for a month or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, he and a bunch of other pitchers uh, on the Sox just haven't, haven't been as consistent as they had been.
1: Yeah, he lost on Sunday. He sort of got bogged down in the third inning, and the Red Sox are out there under the sun in Kansas City, and mm-hmm. it's about ninety degrees in a getaway day. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Evaldi made the point. He he said, you know, it's just like hitters, pitchers, anybody else. When when you ask them to stand out there for thirty pitches, they're going to get tired. Yeah, you know, mistakes are going to happen. Bobby Dahlbeck makes an error. There's a weird ground ball to Christian Arroyo that ends up a double. You know, goes down the right field line. That was a really strange play. But those sorts of things happen when you get into those nightmare extended, right. you know, interminable innings. Right. Um, I look at the staff and, and I think, Bill, does it feel like the Red Sox are 11-6 and six in their last 17? It does not. If you watch them play every night, you would think they're being exposed a bit. We're seeing their weak parts here. The rotation, certainly. Yeah. The leadoff spot, certainly. Um, you know, maybe a couple holes defensively, a couple other spots in the order where you think they could stand to upgrade here, and yet the results still keep coming, which was a really interesting thing about this team. They pushed to fifteen over five hundred, which was their season high. Yep. Uh, they're fourteen right now. Um, you know, so interesting state of affairs as they go to Tampa this week in first place, a first place team that you don't necessarily feel like is firing at what could be championship capacity full capacity yeah yeah no I mean you, you certainly take it
0: but yeah, you're right I mean it's it's first place almost by I, I don't want to say by default because it's not that's not necessarily true because they are six and four in their last 10 games but you know it certainly helps that the Rays are kind of collapsing here. Uh, but yeah you know they they are um, they're not as dominant as they had been and they are not as consistent as they had been. And they're getting some cooperation from other teams in the division as well. Right. <laughs> right. Know? That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so that's that's probably... But hey, you'll take it. They're back in first. Um, you know, and... Uh uh, again, I, I think I think it's going to come down to, you know, I've always said it's going to come down to the Rays and the Yankees. It may just be the Yankees at this point if the Rays yeah. keep continuing to fall. and The yeah. Blue Jays seem to, and we've talked about this last night, the Blue Jays can hit the ball a ton and just cannot pitch. So I, I don't see them being a real threat for the division.
1: Can't pitch at all, especially their <clears throat> bullpen. Really, really struggling. Um, you know, they were fortunate that they were playing the Orioles this weekend because... Yeah, because <laughs> one of those teams had to win. Because right. they had a worse pitching staff than, than <laughs> right. Toronto does. Yeah. Um, you know, but realistically, you, you look at Boston and you think, okay, you know, Valdi is, is sort of off and on. Rodriguez has an ERA above six. It's, it's two runs higher than his career ERA. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand what his peripherals say and hard hit rate and all that stuff. Is he giving them a chance to win? Right now, he's not. In five of his last six starts, he hasn't finished five innings. That comes after a streak where 36 games in a row he'd finished five innings. So you tell me where he's at in terms of his confidence, in terms of his performance level. It's not very good. Yeah. Uh, Nick Pavetta looked sort of like a fringy AL All-Star candidate. Yeah, for the a shine. While there. the shine
0: has kind of come off Pavetta. Still, still. Um you know, uh, giving the team a chance to win. But, yeah, he hasn't looked like the pitcher we saw in the first two months anyway.
1: Martin Perez is is back to generally where I think he should be, which is like a number five starter, yeah. essentially. And then we come to Garrett Richards, <laughs> who had a very interesting outing on Wednesday against Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and we go back to the sticky stuff on the baseballs and everything else. And, and we're sort of, we're all trying to play amateur detective right now. You know, which guy might be using right. it, which right. guy might not be. Um, well, he certainly has raised some questions. Garrett Richards in that game threw 84 pitches, no curveballs.
0: Right, which is intriguing. Which is, is intriguing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Doesn't happen often. Uh, spin rate on his fastball, down 233 rpm.
0: That's enough of a difference for you to kind of notice, right?
1: spin rate on his slider, down 250 RPM. Mm. His previous start against Toronto, which was a walk-off win at Fenway, his average fastball spin rate compared to the rest of the season, he was up 46 RPM. So you're talking about a spread of about 270, 280 between those two starts. Mm. What happened between those two starts?
0: Well, you know, it, it could be. That you know, he wasn't feeling well. He just had an off day. He wasn't able to to uh, muster the same kind of spin rate and velocity that he had in the past. Uh, or it could be something you know. Hey, maybe he isn't using this stuff because he knows that people are are watching him more closely now. Who knows?
1: Which makes you look into Richard's background a little bit. He debuted with the Angels. There was a really good story in Sports Illustrated last week uh, about an Angels clubhouse attendant named Brian Harkins who was exporting. Sticky stuff to pitchers like Garrett Cole and and a few others. A little cottage industry there, right? Uh, And Richards had ready access to Brian Harkins as a member of the Angels pitching staff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you wonder if if it was simply him using pine tar, soft drink syrup, whatever it may be, um, or if they've taken away the sunscreen and rosin. And maybe he's you know, lessened in that way. Uh, You know, he's not necessarily doing real cheating, but sort of the (laughs) acceptable cheating. Um, You know, the comments by Richards after the game, though, in Atlanta were were what got me um, when he talks about maybe having to learn a change-up and maybe he's going to be a different guy going forward. It was almost a a tacit admission without without admitting. Um, Right. You know, and he's been a pretty frank guy for most of the season. I I find him... uh, an engaging interview because he's he's going to tell you what he thinks good or bad and it doesn't matter what you think of him he's going to answer the question um but he looked i don't want to say defeated he he certainly looked a bit crestfallen yeah, um, yeah. that he couldn't go out there and do what he normally does on the mound uh throw the pitches he normally throws on the mound his curveball you're looking at a guy with a top 5 spin rate in baseball on the curveball that's one of the major reasons why the red sox signed him right in the offseason for sure you're going to strip that weapon away from him he's suddenly a 33 year old guy who needs to figure out a different way to get people out that's going to be a really sobering conclusion to draw Yep. um you know it would be if if someone came to me and said okay these five words that you use in your stories too frequently you can't use these anymore hmm So what do you do? And your writing all of a sudden doesn't become, it's not stream of consciousness anymore. It's thinking, it's rereading, it's slowing down. It's, oh, I can't use that phrase. I can't do that. I can't do this. These are my normal crutches, you know, potentially that that I use that maybe I shouldn't use that often. But you can't tell me I can't use them at all. (laughs) It's really difficult. Right. right. So now you're you're essentially, you're going to go to Garrett Richards and say you can't throw curveballs anymore because you can't get a grip on the baseball? Is is that what it's going to come to? If that's the case, he's got a major problem and the Red Sox have a major problem. Now, we hope, certainly, that it's, as you posited... Uh-huh. Perhaps it's just a tough night. You know, it's Atlanta, it's <laughs> humid. That, that is
0: the overly optimistic view, I think. You know, right. he,
1: he can't get a grip on the ball, um, you know, that sort of thing. He'll make adjustments, throw in his bullpen, and next time out he'll he'll be better. Um, you know, but if, if we're just going to play amateur detective here, just based on one start, we would say that uh, Richards is a guy who we need to watch very closely the next time he goes out there.
0: Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, well, uh, since we're talking about Red Sox pitchers, um, you know, one thing that, that uh, could help the staff here uh, in the not so distant future is the uh, rejoining of the team of by Chris Sale, who has been making some progress in uh, in Worcester. Uh, you know, he was uh, there last week. He was throwing, it looked pretty good. People were excited. And uh, it looks like he may be facing some batters here pretty soon in the not-too-distant future.
1: Yeah, he's scheduled for uh, two more bullpens this week. Not, not in an actual game, though, right? No, it would yeah. be live batting practice, yep. which the team can control. Yep. You know, they can control how many pitches he's throwing. Uh, they can cycle through different hitters, left-handers, right-handers, short guys, tall guys, whatever they want to do. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but he, he's scheduled to throw two more bullpens Tuesday and Friday. Uh, and then potentially could report to to Portland next week yep. uh Worcester is on the road um next week, and Portland would be at home yep uh, the Red Sox don't necessarily want him at Fenway facing their own guys um you know because the i I think the fear there is sale gets on the Fenway mound the juice starts to pump he decides to pumps oh, up and it up a little yeah, bit
0: i'm gonna throw ninety eight and, try and, to.
1: You know, and we're 90% of the way through the rehab, and all of a sudden we have a setback. Yeah. And, and I would assume that they're trying to avoid that. I, I also think that. They don't necessarily want to expose their hitters to to a guy who hasn't really thrown anyone in fifteen months. Yeah, and is trying to spin a slider in there every once in a while, and you know all of a sudden he loses a fastball and breaks Rafael Devers' hand. Like that, that's not necessarily what they're looking to do. Yeah. Um. So he's going to go to Portland most likely next week if he doesn't have any setbacks. He he's going to start throwing live BP. Um. And if he gets through a couple of those sessions, the the next step would be a rehab assignment somewhere yeah. um you know somewhere in the minor leagues and once you're getting to talking about live bp and rehab assignments and whatever else that's when you can really start to discuss the fact that chris sale is going to be a part of this thing right you can start soon. envisioning a, a
0: timetable here and you say okay let's give him x number of starts or x number of pitches or x number of batters and you can look at your schedule and say well maybe he's back in you know on the fenway mound by whatever August first, or whatever that date is, right? Uh, but it's certainly promising that that uh, so far, anyway, uh, he has not had any setbacks over these last few weeks. Every report that I've seen, uh, and you know our own Joan Mac- our own Joe McDonald, uh, our uh, from our sister paper uh, up in Worcester, has been chronicling what sales been doing at Polar Park. Um, you know, all the reports have been very good. He's very positive about it. Yeah. Uh, the team seems to be very positive about it. So, hopefully, that this keeps moving in the right direction, and he doesn't have any setbacks. And you know, it'll be interesting, and it always is, to see what kind of a pitcher he'll he'll be this season after the surgery. It Usually, takes guys a little while to kind of find themselves again and get right. And right. you know, it, it may not be until next season that he's really. Picture he's going to be for the rest of his career, or whatever. But uh, you know, so far, anyway, uh, reports are that he's doing well. Velocity looks good so far. Um, and the other thing, Bill, is that the Red Sox are not like in desperate need of him at this moment because, as we said, they're in first place. And I, and I think one of the reasons, and we should touch touch on that now, is that the one of the reasons they're in first place is their offense is among the best in major leagues. You looked it up just before we started; the top three in the American League top four overall in baseball and uh, you know uh, maybe we're not giving enough credence to to that lineup but they have certainly kept the Red Sox afloat not more than afloat uh, on, you know on top of the standings and have been very consistent you've got uh, you've got great performances by Devers J.D. Martinez Xander Bogarts your big three so to speak and then you know you're getting nice contributions from Verdugo Bobby Dahlbeck's kind of come around as of late still striking out but much more of a contributing uh, piece of that offense he's uh, up to nine home runs uh, Hunter Renfro has been really good for about a month month and a half um, Christian Arroyo has had this that nice little streak so
1: they are uh, you know they are really uh, offensively uh, carrying this team right now a hey, third and run scored as we sit here on Monday afternoon you're fourth in OPS in the big leagues You know, so you're you're talking about top five offense, no no matter how you slice it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you're right; I I think those guys in the middle um, are just capable of doing so much heavy lifting. Uh, You know, you could see it when they ran into Houston a little bit, and Martinez and Bogarts and Devers sort of got bogged down a little bit. Right. That lineup looked very mortal because the ancillary pieces were asked to do too much hey the big guys aren't hitting so now we need you to produce and that's not necessarily who they are they are augmenting the production from the big guys they are not going to replace it in in any way Um, you know and so you you look at a couple guys who who are helping out as the big boppers round back into form and and certainly Bogarts Martinez Devers have done that rather quickly as you would expect them to do Um, Renfro since May 1st has an 847 OPS got 18 extra base hits in, wow. in 42 games that's pretty good considering the way he's playing right field absolutely as well yeah um you know he looks like a guy who has helped them in terms of being a complete player uh you know they've sort of settled on him hitting in the six hole which you know now maybe you've got two through six yeah solidified with yeah. Verdugo on top of the three mashers and then Renfro hitting six that's nice to have yeah um you look at Bobby Dahlbeck his last nine games, he's thirteen for thirty-two, six extra base hits in that stretch, three home runs, two triples, and a double. Yeah, and, and I think with Dahlbeck, Bill, I, I think you know for fans too, it's a matter of acceptance with him. And I think the organization knew this going into the year. They look at his slumps and his strikeouts, and I think they factor those in as a sunk cost. Right. I, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, if you buy a gorgeous house on coastal land with Great Views, you're going to have to accept the fact that your insurance premiums or whatever else are just going to be a little higher. (laughs) So your property taxes, right. (laughs) Right, than than where you lived in the suburbs. But you're doing that because you have the coastal land and the Great View and and whatever else. Dahlbeck is going to go on these stretches where I think he's going to be a really productive guy. He's had at least three now Mm. over the course of the season, uh, You know, over three months, where he's gotten really hot hit a bunch of home runs, a bunch of extra base hits, and you think, oh my God, if, if he could just do this yeah. consistently. Yeah. But that's not who he is, because he's going to follow it up with an 0 for 20 and 13 strikeouts. At least that's been the history so far. And, right, and that's right. been his pattern throughout yeah. the minor leagues and as he gets up here into the big leagues. The, the best hitters, the great hitters, find a way to sort of even that stuff out. Yes. In, the, in the bad times, they still squeeze out like a 6 for 25 week you know, with a couple walks. And then the next week they go 12 for 30. Yes. 13 for 30. And and they're right back to where they are. That's the most difficult part of the game to find. It's that consistency, that sort of steady, balanced effort across yep. the board. Um, you know, and as a rookie, sort of playing every day for the first time. And, and also doing a decent job stretch. in the infield, too. He's fine at first You know, he's fine base. over there, yeah. I mean, he made an error Sunday. He's mm-hmm. got six this season, but... You know, if you look at the the, the sort of extended metrics and, and what they are asking him to do, he's not that bad. There. No, no, he,
0: he's he's serviceable for sure. He's
1: fine. Yeah, you know, if if he's keeping a seat warm for Tristan Cassis for twenty twenty three, okay, fine, yeah, right? Like he's not killing them. He's not hurting them at this point. And when you catch him in a nine game stretch like he's in right now, he's really helping them. Right. Um. You know. So I think they were perfectly prepared to sort of ride or die with with what he was going to do coming into the year you mentioned arroyo uh he suffered a bruised right shin on sunday at kansas city uh he was scheduled to bat lead off all three games against tampa i think they faced three lefties yeah if he's out of the lineup that's kind of the risk that you ran with him that's sort of been his pattern over the course of his career yeah produce a little gets hurt hurt yeah has a nice run gets hurt. Well, he's been dealing with that wrist as well. Yeah. Hand and, uh, injuries yeah. previously. He's had hand surgery previously. Yeah. He ended up on the IL earlier this year after getting hit twice on the left hand. Um, you know, they're hoping he can avoid the IL this time, but that's sort of who he's been. So you need to factor in that Arroyo's going to get hurt at some point. <laughs> Maybe got, twice. Right. You know, we will have to have somebody right. else happens. who can play for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Polwicki looked like he popped his hamstring the other day in Kansas City on Sunday. He might have to go on the I.L. Right. You know, None of those announcements are going to be made until Tuesday. The Red Sox only have one other catcher on their 40 man. That's Connor Wong. He's not exactly tearing the cover off the ball in Worcester. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be more moves to come in terms of their position players. But what they're getting from now in terms of their offense, yes, they have some holes. They have some guys who you would think we can upgrade from Marvin Gonzalez. We can upgrade from Danny Santana. We right. can probably do a little better at first base. You know, maybe we could do a little better at second base, but the hole, thus far, as you mentioned, starting this off, is a top five hole. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, when the guys who
0: are supposed to be leading your offense uh, are in fact leading your offense, as as these guys are, with Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers, and uh, you know, you've got you're getting good contributions from uh, Alex Verdugo. Kike um, Hernandez hasn't been. He's kind of been up and down. Renfro, as of late, you know, you can afford to have those one or two guys, those black holes, where okay, you know, uh, you know, they're hitting in the uh, you know around two or under two or whatever. But you know, uh, everyone else is is kind of lifting, uh, lifting the lineup, so it's it doesn't it doesn't uh, doesn't stand out as much. Uh, Bill, you you had mentioned that. Um you, you pointed out Jaron Duran is doing pretty well, and you wonder maybe uh, is that something that the Red Sox is that one of the moves that they envision in uh, maybe
1: maybe helping
0: some of those uh, helping some of that fill fill those black holes.
1: I mean, this is this is uh, I, th- I think the Jaron Duran question sort of goes to uh, how the Red Sox see development as as a core tenant. Uh, you know, are they gonna are they gonna force Jaron Duran to stay in Worcester for sixty, seventy games just just to be absolutely beyond convinced? you know like is this to the point where you know I'm sure you know you were with your lovely wife for a reasonable amount of time before you proposed and, and you guys got married? <laughs> yes, you know, but was it maybe three or four months extra where you thought, am I really sure do I really want to do
0: this? I don't think it was that long, but yeah, <laughs> not at all.
1: right? You knew, <laughs> right, right. When you know you know. And so I look at Jaron Duran and I see a guy who's got a 10.06 OPS. And, you know, I had a, a, someone on Twitter point out, you know, no, he's not ready. He's only hitting 2.35 in the road. Well, batting average is an outdated metric, which, which we don't take as seriously right. anymore. Right. You it, are not a fan of batting average for sure. He's got an 8.40 OPS yeah. on the road. You know, 12 games, a double, four home runs, seven walks. He's producing. He might not be hitting singles, but he's producing, he's doing damage. That's what they want at the major league level. If you look at Duran so far this year, yeah. he's hitting 286. Yeah, overall, which is very good. Jack Lopez is hitting 319, but he's got a 776 OPS. Mm. So, which guy is the better player, right. Duran or Jack Lopez? No, it's you, not even close. Of course. It's Duran. Yeah. He's got 12 home runs in 30 games. Yeah. You're looking at a sample that goes back to last year at the alternate site when he's wearing out Nick Pavetta and a few <laughs> other guys who have been in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, you go to the Olympic qualifying where he faced some good pitching, some guys who've been in the big leagues and performed there and has Mike Sosha and Todd Frazier saying that he reminds him of Mike Trout in terms of physical tools, which is, is obviously a bit lofty, but sure you know, Mike Sosha coached Mike Trout, managed Mike Trout for a long time. If he sees any physical comparison between those two guys and you're the Red Sox you say oh my god you know this is great where is this going to go
0: yeah well I mean he's 6'2 he's 24 you know he's he's, pre- he's proven himself I, I, uh, I, I would like to see him come up uh, a little sooner than later because I think you can I, I don't think he'd be any worse than what you're getting out of Marwin Gonzalez in the outfield or, uh, or uh, Danny Santana now obviously Marwin Gonzalez is a different player because he can play just about anywhere it gives you certain utility there.
1: And he's a veteran guy, right. and he's played for Cora before, and he's been in the World Series and in the postseason, and I think they value that more than his numbers.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Um, you know, But my point that I made on Twitter on Sunday was Jaron Duran would not be the 26th player on this Red Sox roster. He might not even be the 20th. Yeah. He might be higher than that yeah. if you bring him in. Yeah. Uh, the question is, are you prepared to make difficult decisions, whether it be on the 26th man or on the 40 man? are you prepared to bring him up and play him every day? Mm-hmm. Because that's essentially what you would be committing to. Um,
0: right. There's no point in bringing him up and playing him once a week. Let him play every day if that's what he's doing. And Obviously, that's what he's doing in the minors.
1: Yes. If, if you think that he's ready to be here, do not make him a part-time player, a platoon player. Let's get all the way to the ceiling. Mm. Let's find out who this guy really is. That means playing him every day. That means you're going to have to make a decision about Kike Hernandez is he just going to play second base, and we're going to get rid of Marvin Gonzalez or Christian Arroyo, or try yeah. to trade one of them? Um, you know, is Alex Verdugo going to start playing center field every day, and, and we're going to play Duran and left? You know, those are the sorts of things that you would need to decide to get him onto this roster and into this lineup. Um, you know, but if you're looking at the player himself and, and what he's done over the last couple of years, he's transformed his swing. He's completely changed his body in terms of his weightlifting. His, his dad is apparently some monster in the gym out there, Octavio, uh, who has a, a gym in his garage at home and was always a big lifter. And, and Jaren, um was always sort of this undersized kid who mm-hmm. was a middle infielder and a second baseman at Long Beach State. And he used um, a lot of the last offseason and, and the weird 2020, the, the pandemic-stricken 2020, yep. to redevelop his body. And now, all of a sudden, he's a guy who's got a little bit of lift in his swing who can't stop hitting home runs. Yeah. Um, he was a guy who, who didn't hit any at all you know, in A-ball and in Portland. He was, he was a slap guy right. who could find a gap and hit a triple. He's got that kind of speed. But now, if you're going to add power and, and maybe push another tool into that equation, he, he's just a really interesting guy. His game style could be a real spark for a lineup, for a yeah. team, for a fan base. Um, you know, I would say how much more does he have to show in order to get himself here? I I I personally in a limited sample, granted. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that you benefit from that sort of energy, that yeah. sort of exuberance, that sort of skill set. I think that's a good thing to have. I don't think you can have too much of that on a yeah. roster.
0: Well, service time is playing into this too, isn't it?
1: I think we're past that point now. Are we? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. think we are. Okay. I don't. I think. I think that's at the start of the year. I'd, I'd have to break out my calculator okay. for that one. But um, uh, you're 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 correct to be cynical because certainly before the CBA terms are, are redefined after December, mm-hmm. uh, organizations have made decisions based on service time. Well, the Red Sox are no different. Absolutely, they have. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Bill. Um, before we uh, before we wrap up this uh, week's version of uh, of the Twin Bills, we should take uh, some uh, take some time and talk about uh, Friday's game with the Yankees, in which the Red Sox are planning. It's the Yankees, right? Yeah, it's the Yankees. The Yankees, yes, sir. Uh, in which the Red Sox are planning to honor uh, longtime second baseman Dustin Pedroia, who has uh, who retired prior to the beginning of this year. Was with the Red Sox uh, in the majors for I want to say fourteen seasons, something like that, and um, you know is is uh, has gone out as probably the top you know one of the top two or three second basemen's in franchise history. Yep. Second baseman yep. in franchise history, Bobby Doerr comes to mind, and then I'm yep. not sure if there's anybody else you would really put on top of of uh, of Pedroia in terms of uh, Red Sox second baseman anyway. Um, So the question is, where does he fall in terms of uh, the Hall of Fame, the Red Sox Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame? Um, Here's a guy who came up, was Rookie of the Year in 2007, helping the Red Sox win uh, their second World Series of this century, Um, was an MVP the following year in 2008, and uh, uh, was a uh, contributor, big contributor to the 2013 uh, uh, World Series champions as well. Also got a ring for 2018, even though he only played, I want to say, like, I don't know, 12 or 13 three games. games. Three games. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. That's right. He only had uh, 13 played appearances, three games. Um, so uh, my vote is that he is clearly a Red Sox Hall of Famer. And I... Um, I don't know that uh, I would be opposed to retiring number fifteen if if there was enough of a uh, a uh, movement for that. I don't think he quite makes I don't think he quite makes the baseball Hall of fame um, but that's my take on it. I think his uh you know he kind of dropped off there the last couple of years for sure um, and his uh, his career totals he ended up with just under. Uh, 300 batting average, which I know you don't like batting averages, but, you know, that's sort of one of the magic numbers. He's, he finished at 299. And, it's not and, that I don't
1: like them. It's yeah. just
0: an outdated measure. And... uh
1: that's all. You know. So where do you stand on the Dustin Pedroia greatness meter? Uh, I'm generally in alignment with you. I, I would say, you know, first uh, Friday <clears throat> against the Yankees, you're honoring Dustin Pedroia. I, I think that we could threaten the first sellout crowd at Fenway Park. Oh, the that's year. good. That's a good point. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. that'd be a wonderful thing to see. Sure. I, I think you sort of have a, a marriage of, of a lot of things coming together there. Um, you're honoring one of the great players of, of recent. Your Red Sox Vintage. Yep. Uh, you have the rivals in town. Uh, yep. if, weather,
0: I'm looking at my weather app. The weather is supposed to be fairly good, you know, if, mostly sunny, 79 degrees
1: or something. That sounds so. pretty good to me yeah. for a summer night. Yep. Uh, you know, if, if Boston plays reasonably well against Tampa over these three games, uh, you know, you would hope that they would sustain that sort of momentum that they've had. If they win two out of three, they'll still be in first place. Yep. Um, you know, so definitely uh, it should be a nice atmosphere uh, on Friday. Um, you yeah, know, in terms of Pedroia, uh, yes, a, a very, very important figure in franchise history. Mm. Um, if you consider the 07 and the 13 teams, which, which he really contributed on, um, you know, 07, um, 07 was a, a really interesting year considering how poorly he started, the patience that Terry Francona showed. Uh, the mental resilience that Pedroya showed ultimately to hit sure. 317 that year with an 823 OPS as a rookie yeah um you remember what he was like at the start of that season oh,
0: he was, was hopeless I remember my reaction when I first saw him. I was like, who's this guy swinging out of his shoes over his head? He's not a Major League Baseball player. You know, I mean, he was, you know, to me, he'd be like, you know, he's like your, your utility infielder. You might get three or four years in the game and then go coach somewhere. Yeah. And um, – you know, you're right, Terry Francona, and I think even Francona, if I remember correctly, said, "Well, you know, the guys say he's really good, so you know,
1: I'm waiting to see it, kind of thing." But he stuck with him. He he was a high draft pick out of Arizona State. Yeah. Uh, you know, Theo Epstein loved him. Um, right. You know, really liked the fact that he had great bat to ball skills. Elite hand-eye coordination. Yeah, it's 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 it was
0: deceptive when you watch his swing because generally you look at it and you think it's this big roundhouse swing, but he's
1: actually very quick to the ball. Quick to the ball. Yeah. Makes hard contact for a guy that size. Yep. Um, can't measure the size of his heart. Sure. Because he gave everything to the Red Sox. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he gave his left knee to Boston. Yes. Uh, I mean, when it when right. it comes right down to it. Right. Um, you know, you look at his first twelve seasons, and and there are eleven full ones. Yeah, in there, 300, 366, 441, 807 OPS. Pretty good production for a second baseman. Absolutely, uh, yeah. eighteen hundred hits, almost four hundred doubles. Um, you know, guy who played Gold Glove defense. is a four time Gold Glove winner. Right, four time All Star, as you mentioned, a Rookie of the Year and an MVP. Um, the shame is that obviously physically at his size his effort level how long is he going to be able to sustain that right we weren't necessarily sure he had injuries along the way and then in the end obviously the slide by manny machado in baltimore injures his left knee which was already sort of bulky yeah but that put it over the line he he's at the point now where just in terms of quality of life he's going to need a, a knee replacement at some point sure just to play with his three sons mm-hmm. and and that's what led him to retire this year the the shame of it is that his last four seasons of that eight-year contract extension that he signed he's gonna play nine games yeah that's a tough way to finish
0: right and that that's that's the issue it sort of leaves a bad taste in your mouth I mean it's not his fault that he that he got that contract. No, not at you all. Know? I mean, no, the, the I, team. I would never you know, fault him, right? The for team some, no. signed him to that contract.
1: No, and and yes, I was hoping that he retired to free up a forty man spot. Right. You know, I'm not wishing animosity on Dustin Pedroia, and not not at all. He signs a contract; he deserves every cent right of it. Um, you know, the shame of it though, is that he finishes three for thirty one his last two years. And he dips below that career 300 mm. mark, yeah. and 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 you know that yes, batting average diminished as as we've said multiple times on the podcast, <laughs> but you know that players like those round numbers, whether it's yeah. 400 home runs or you know 1500 RBI or you know 500 doubles or to hit 300, not many guys have done that in the history of the game in their careers. It's yeah. a very small percentage, um, you know. So for him to hit 299, much in the way that Jim Rice sort of faded his last two or three quickly, years yeah, very and, and, quickly. and did a little damage to his career slash line yeah um you would say that rice probably had a, a longer higher peak than yeah Price. rice was
0: more of a dominant player for a longer period of time. yes yeah. he
1: had some seasons where you looked and you said my goodness this guy's the best player in baseball yeah yeah you could definitely make was, that argument and though. there was more than one yes There was more than one. There was probably three or four or five. Yeah, and it it
0: helped him that, that, uh, you know, 86 was one of those great years for him because it was late, obviously late in his career, and, you know, it kind of answered, you know, the critics that said, well, you know, Rice's best years are behind him. And then he had this big, huge year in 86, and they go to the World Series.
1: You know, 86, he had a great year. 78, he had a great year. 75, he had a great year. Uh, I mean, and that was his rookie year. Yeah. Um, He was fantastic at various points in his career. But getting back to Pedroia, yes, he. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I I don't think he'll get in. Uh, I think in this era of of offense that he played in, I think he's going to fall a little shy, maybe of some other second baseman, certainly of some other infielders. Hmm. Um, You know, I look at his MVP finishes. He did win one. He only had two other times where he received votes. Uh, Both those times he ended up in the top nine. But is that consistent extended greatness compared to the rest of the league yeah for me probably a little shy of that in terms of the Red Sox Hall of Fame I, I think he's a slam dunk no doubt as soon as you can put him in you put him in and yes I think you retire number 15 I think that you know retiring numbers it's not only to honor the players I think it's to honor their connection with the fan base right I, I think you have guys who play for certain teams who mean more in their market than they would to the game at large. I think Pedroia was one of those guys. I, I think he was very much an everyman out there. You could sit in the stands and say, well, look at this little run, you know, right. running around and swinging out of his shoes. And, Generously listed at 5'9". You know, and he runs like he like my brother always says, like he's got suitcases under each arm. You know? <laughs> right, so trying very, to make
0: the plane, yeah.
1: Very awkward looking. Um, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't say that anything he ever did was smooth. Yeah, yeah. Um, But Boston loves athletes like that. Oh, absolutely. gravitate to them. You know, that sort of blue collar, dirt under your fingernails type of thing. Um, And that's what made him a fan favorite. So I I certainly think you retire number 15, you put him in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. I think he'll fall a little bit shy of Cooperstown. I I don't think he's going to get there. Right. Um, But he certainly. Uh, on the list for dinner in Boston, with, with, <laughs> you know, with guys like, and I'm thinking from other sports like Rick Middleton, uh, Teddy Bruschi, yeah. um, you know, someone like, uh, you know, take a great Celtic like Danny Ainge in his career, yeah, okay, you know, when he was a player, right, right, um, guys who meant a lot to the teams they played on, sure, but guys who weren't necessarily great, 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 capital G, yeah. league wide, right, you know. Right. No doubt, Hall of Famer, that type of thing, yeah. um, you know, and I'm sure there'll be some Bruins fans who would want to quibble with with Nifty <laughs> uh, on that because yeah. a lot of folks think that that he should be a Hall yeah. of Famer, um, you know. But I, I certainly think that Pedroia deserves his own night. I, I think I hope he enjoys it. Uh, you know, I hope he's able to make the, the trip with uh, his wife and their three sons. Uh, I, I think it's a a worthy honor uh, for a guy who was a great Red Sox player,
0: great Red Sox player, and also spent. Uh, a a fair amount of time down in uh, Pawtucket with the uh, Paw Sox back in, I want to say, 05, I think, 05 and 06. Yeah. And certainly, uh, you know, it was well known to the fans here who went to uh, regular uh, Paw Sox games. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, you know, Petey, as, uh, as he's come to be called, uh, you know, played his entire career with the Red Sox. Uh, and yeah, I think that uh, putting his number up there, you could do a lot worse for sure, for sure.
1: Oh, no question. He, he's certainly worthy.
0: Um, so, Bill, before we wrap it up, I just wanted to uh, take a quick uh, 30 seconds here and say that um, it was good to hear and see Jerry Remy back in the booth yeah. on Sunday calling the game. Uh, Jerry was uh, taken to Mass General after a, uh, I think it was June 11th, if I remember correctly, game against the Blue Jays. He felt correct some shortness of breath. Um, you know, obviously he's been uh, dealing with different health challenges over recent years, but uh, it seems like he got a clean bill of health and he's back uh, back in the booth doing what, uh, you know, doing what he does best. And, you know, um, Bill, I think we are, we are spoiled in that we have, um, I think, some of the best um, broadcasters, team broadcasters in the league. I think Jerry Remy has been stellar for, you know, the better part of uh, – my God, it's 35, 40 years close to that now. I guess, or mid-eighties, maybe 30, thirty-five years. So
1: the late eighties, he picked up in '87, '88. Yeah, I
0: think it was maybe around eighty-eighty-five or eighty-six. But yeah, okay, maybe that. But so um, he's pushing thirty-five years, give or take. And uh, you know, I love listening to Eckersley in the booth, and uh, yeah. you know, Dave O'Brien does a great job with play-by-play. So it's good to hear. Uh, it's good to hear uh, Jeremy uh, back doing what he does, uh, you know, best. I think.
1: Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you always wish for good health with, with Jerry. Um, you know, the, the concern there, obviously, shortness of breath. Jerry's a lung cancer survivor. Yeah. He's had a couple of relapses with that. Um, you know, so anytime you hear shortness of breath with, with what yeah, he's scary. going through, yeah. you're, you're a little concerned. Um, you know, they took him to Mass General. He was there for a few days under observation. And apparently, has received a clean bill of health. Uh, And it was nice to have him back in the booth on Sunday and uh, hopefully for many, many more nights going forward. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we will be keeping an
0: eye on the Red Sox here as they head down to Tampa Bay for a three-game series. Then they come home to host the New York Yankees, the Yankees' first visit, I believe, to Fenway this this season. Uh, And uh, it looks like it could certainly be a preview of the... uh, the teams that are going to be battling for the American League East—it always comes down to the Yankees and the Red Sox. It always seems to, anyway.
1: <laughs> don't don't bury except, Tampa. Except so last quick.
0: year when the Red Sox were terrible.
1: I, I want to bury Tampa so quick. I don't mean to get <laughs> oh, you on my team. I'm not.
0: Uh, yeah, no. Well, I'm not certainly not burying the Yankees because uh, you know I think uh, last week or the two weeks ago they were like seven games out, and now they're like four and a half games out, and they're uh, you know and Tampa is falling fast. So I, I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see a good old-fashioned Yankees Red Sox uh, race for the uh, race for the uh, division.
1: The Rays are bidding to rescue this, to resuscitate themselves this week by calling up Wander Franco, ah. who is the consensus top prospect in baseball. A panic dead. move? Is that a panic move? <laughs> uh, it could be an injection move, like the Red Sox could make by calling up Duran. Uh, you know, something. well, yeah, but the Red Sox actually
0: have other players in the, in their lineup who can really hit. <laughs> uh,
1: Franco is a twenty-year-old. He's an infielder. He's, he. Profiles as a shortstop, uh, yep. someone who has great offensive numbers at AAA over the last couple seasons, mm-hmm. um, you know, a blinding talent. Uh, you know, Boston will get a first look at him on Tuesday night. He should make his debut. I would imagine they're going to call him up to be in the lineup, yeah, not to be coming off the bench, as right. a defensive <laughs> replacement. <it. laughs> no, they're going to need him. Um, you know, so certainly uh, the Rays have more tricks up their sleeve, but I tend to agree with you. I, I think that injuries will hit a critical mass, and mm-hmm. I think Red Sox and Yankees could end up slugging it out through the summer months here well next time we do this we will have the yankee series behind us and we will see
0: how that goes bill i appreciate the time as always have a a good week and we will do this again next time thanks bill